We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we broadcast loud and queer, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and recognise their own history as well as their queer history and community members. This podcast discusses some sensitive topics. If that's not for you, go ahead and skip this episode or check out some of our other podcasts at syn.org.au. The voice for LGBTQ plus youth and music only on Sin. This is Loud and Queer. Patrick uh, joined me early this week to talk about their one-person show, Naomi, coming to Nam next month after winning several awards and having kind of great reception at the Adelaide Fringe Festival earlier this year. So yeah, we talked about the themes of the show, bringing it together, and what has changed for this uh, kind of new run of it, as well as kind of going into Patrick's interview process before writing the show, and how research generally is kind of a big part of their creative process. At 45 Downstairs for the Melbourne Fringe Festival from October 13th till the 23rd. This uh, interview just touched on some heavy subjects, just to give a content warning. Going to be recurring mentions of the show's themes, including self-harm, suicide and mental health at large. We're not looking to re-traumatise anyone here on Loud and Queer. If you feel like it's not for you, dick. But otherwise, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the interview. And um, yeah, it's really want to thank Patrick again for their time. And you're listening to Loud and Queer on scene. Hi, my name is Patrick. Uh, I use they, them pronouns. I'm an actor, writer, and producer based in Nam. Your new solo show, Naomi, uh, will be at 45 Downstairs here in Nam from the 13th to the 23rd of October for the Fringe Festival. Um, yeah, how are you feeling about the run and like bringing the show here? I feel mostly good about it. I f- the first time I did the show, I was kind of had this like blind faith that it would all work out for the best I think because of the, the reasons that I was doing the show I was kind of you know kind of buoyed by all of this hope and purpose and so then the second time around revisiting it I'm like wow there's so much work to do and because I play I mean we can get into this but because I play eight different characters that suddenly seemed incredibly daunting the second time around. How is kind of preparing for a solo show that runs 10 days straight? And like, I guess, do you find that more or less exhausting than having like other cast members to kind of go through it all with? I think it's probably, it's such a good question. I think there's um, positives and negatives to the experience of doing it. I think it's probably more tiring because you really need to energize yourself like when you go into it every night, whereas I've just come off of two years of acting alongside my partner and that was really great because if I wasn't feeling it, Will would, you know, kind of get me into it, kind of be like, come on, let's do it. Let's uh, let's get excited for it. Whereas when you're on your own, you really have to be your own kind of hype person. Yeah, right. Um, And yeah, I guess for listeners who might not be familiar, could you tell us a bit about the show? Yeah, so Naomi is a solo performance that I wrote about my mum, Naomi Jean. Um, My mum actually passed from suicide about seven years ago. And so I wrote this show after interviewing uh, her friends and family about her life. 
So at the start of 2020, I started doing these interviews, not really knowing what I was going after, but I just basically wanted to find out more about my mum and how it was that she died that way. Because uh, I knew she had mental illness, a mental illness, but I didn't really know the ins and outs of it because, you know, it's your parents, so you don't really know all the stuff about them. And then from those interviews, I thought it was really interesting and something that I thought would be worth sharing with people because mental health isn't something that we're very good at talking about in general as a culture. And so I was like, oh, this is so juicy, especially from a family perspective. Like what are all those perspectives that shape our relationship to mental health? Why do we find it hard to talk about? And so I put all of that together into a play with the help of director Bronwyn Coleman, uh, where I play eight people that I interviewed, all telling mum's story, all asking the question, how did this happen? Definitely want to ask more about kind of like that interview process, because yeah, I was reading that you do um, interviews kind of before and during writing and like research is something that seems to be a big part of like bringing your projects together, not just this one. Um, so yeah, I really keen to ask about kind of that research process for something like theatre and like how it ties into the creative process as a whole. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot, a lot of people listening might, you know, associate research really heavily with like nonfiction stuff or journalism, but it definitely is a big part of, of theatre and creative projects. Yeah, well, I think in theatre you're asking so much of the audience already because they're having to come in and really suspend their disbelief to buy into whatever story is playing out in front of them. And I think for me, that research element just gives the audience more reason to believe what's going on. So I've done a lot of shows that deal with politics uh, in the past. And all of that is just world building for the audience, because if they're sitting there thinking, I don't think these people know what they're talking about. Like this really doesn't sound like the news that I listen to, or this doesn't sound like uh, world politics as I know it, because we've just done a show about queer persecution in Russia. Then you're automatically alienating like a whole bunch of your audience uh, that you really want to bring on side and you want to ask those people to invest. So for me, research is just a no brainer because it's like a foolproof way of making sure that no one's in the audience being like, these people are idiots. Yeah. And I guess like on the other end of that, if there's someone that, you know, has no prior knowledge of, of the subject, then um, like you're making sure that you're not just jumping into like an area that you're not well versed in and, and miseducating people. Well, 100%, like you, I feel like you have a real social responsibility when you're telling stories on stage um, and to make sure that you can back the thing that you're telling and the message that you're spreading. And also when you're doing that research, you find out so much cool stuff that you want that then informs the creative process because you often have your original idea, but then through that research phase, it changes so many times because you yourself become more informed and your attitude towards the issue changes. And that conversation, that dialogue then becomes a part of the show. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, if, if you don't mind um, answering, how was that like process for Naomi specifically and like preparing for this play? Because it's like, yeah, I feel like you'd probably find out a lot of stuff about your mum that you probably wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, it was pretty full on like I was so into it at the beginning just like the idea of having these conversations it was something I really wanted to do 
because I come from a family where we t- we talk of like we're very open, we're very loud, very kind of energetic as a collective. But then there's just some stuff that you don't really talk about, and I think a lot of a lot of families are like that. Like you feel like you know each other quite well, but then you something like this might happen, or you find out later that someone was going through something. And you just think, how did I have no idea that this was happening? And so my family definitely became closer after mum died, but I still wanted to interrogate all of those things that meant that, you know, we weren't all kind of on the same page. And coming out of a lot of those interviews, I really had to take a second and like look after myself. And that was something that obviously when you're interviewing your grandma, She's like, make sure, you know, you're looking after yourself. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, relax. Of course I am. But then after doing like three, you know, whatever it was, maybe I did like three weeks of interviews, suddenly I'm getting quite snappy and uh, and annoying. And I'm like, oh, I think maybe I'm getting affected by all of this. And so you just have to take a breather, let it sit um, and come back to it. Because it's really hard talking about mental health. Um, it's not something that I'm well-versed in. I'm like becoming better at it. Uh, but you have to be really delicate and you have to be really consent. You have to have, especially when you're doing the interviews, like have full consent from both parties to be getting into that stuff. Um, and to be also doing it in a productive way where you don't feel like you're forcing it out of someone. Um, because I don't know, you're an interviewer, so you'll probably know all about this, but I've, I found doing the interviews, there was like, this bell curve of experience where for the first little bit, you're kind of just like getting them comfortable and then you start getting really vulnerable with each other. And then after like an hour, it's, it drops off and the answers start getting a bit more one note. Uh, and so you kind of have to be aware of that and know that you've only got a small time to really be vulnerable with that person before they get tired or they get cagey or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's that kind of duty of care for yourself the person you're interviewing and then kind of in the context sometimes the listeners as well yeah so, definitely yeah it's good to hear that um it was all very considered in it all um but yeah also production wise for the show you have some wonderful people involved kind of bringing in really interesting and like from what i can see you're very kind of abstract at times like sound lighting and set design um yeah how did those ideas uh for those kind of production pieces come about and how was the process of like communicating those ideas and then collaborating, especially for like such a personal show? I think for Naomi, I was really sound was like the first thing I thought of um, because my mum was a singer and music was a big part of our life. And so that just felt like a natural fit. Like I would find something that just made, made sense to the world that kind of underpinned it all. And so I went on this journey to try and find really cool composers or musicians that might want to partner up. And I found Biddy Connor, who's a composer and instrumentalist, um, who's a singer, but also plays, you know, the violin and the cello and all, all, she's so talented. And she came on board and it was really through her that everything begin, began to unfold. I feel like as a actor and writer, uh, you have kind of a limited view of what the world can be because you're thinking along your, you're thinking in your lane of what you do. Like this is what the words will be. Um, this is what the characters will be doing. 
but you have this awareness that there's all this other stuff to do with the audience's experience that you just have no idea. You know, I don't know how to, what is going to be the best sound. I don't know what the best costume is going to be. All of that stuff that's really going to underpin what the audience is seeing and feeling. And so once Bronwyn, the director, once we heard what Biddy was coming up with sound wise, everything just started kind of to click into place. I feel like we understood the world we were working in. Um, And then it was then a matter of finding someone who could make a set that again, just enhanced all of that. So for the Adelaide season, we had a amazing designer called Zandra Roberts, who created uh, this kind of triangle image because uh, we wanted this kind of chicken wire fence, which was to symbolize like domesticity and the home. And also you'd pin things to it. So it's kind of memory. Um, and then it was Zandra's idea to make this triangle, which really then became like the centerpiece of the whole show. Uh, and I think there's something about those like simple but iconic shapes that really call to, they really do a lot for the imagination and the triangle represented a lot to a lot of people. And so that is now for the Melbourne season, even though Xander is no longer um, working on the show, uh, that's still very much the center of the show. And our new set designer, Zasha uh, Chua Chua Huggins uh, is kind of building the new set around that triangle. What are you hoping people kind of take away from the show? I think, my main hope is that it makes people more comfortable with talking about these really difficult themes uh, because that was my experience uh, doing the interviews and making the show is that I now feel a little bit more comfortable asking those harder questions or diving into those conversations with people. So that would be my main hope that by destigmatizing topics like suicide, like depression, like alcoholism or partner abuse, um, that it doesn't make them less scary, but it does make them um, things that you feel like you can tackle if you hear of someone going through that. Because I think there's definitely this knee-jerk reaction to be too polite about it. Like you might hear whispers that someone's going through a hard time or someone's experiencing something and you think, oh God, I don't really want to go there with them because I don't want to make them uncomfortable. And also maybe I don't want to make myself uncomfortable. But I think we all need to learn to live in that uncomfortability a bit more and so hopefully Naomi does that for a lot of people. Yeah, awesome. Um, all right. So after the show and kind of just in the future, what, what's kind of next for you? Uh, so I received a scholarship at the start of this year called the Martin Bequest, which will take me to New York in December. Uh, so I found out about it in April. So this year is kind of been balancing work, but also trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to move my life um, overseas for 18 months. So yeah, that's definitely where my mind is at at the moment. Yeah. Congratulations. That's so exciting. Uh, Is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, I think that there's maybe a perception that a show like Naomi um, is going to be any one thing. Like maybe it'll just be really sad or you'll just walk out feeling, you know, a little bit low and gloomy about stuff, but that's definitely not the vibe. Um, And there's a heap of shades. It kind of spans the full spectrum of emotion. So it's a, yeah, you definitely go in not knowing what to expect, or maybe you will expect one thing, but it's definitely going to, um, it delivers more than just that. And there's definitely lots of laughs as well. Yeah. I was reading that kind of humor is a big part of it. And yeah, like you said, people probably will have kind of 
their preconceptions about the show just from the synopsis of it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's obviously, you know, the subject is quite multifaceted and like, yeah, humor especially can be a big part of that. Um, well, I come from a family of like really funny women. So my grandma, my aunties, my mom's friends, all of those women are people that I interviewed and make it their way into the show. And a big reason for that is they're just amazing storytellers. Um, and so they've all got their kind of different way of telling the story, but it's all really funny or, or kind of colored by moments of humor. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people when they saw the show in Adelaide really walked out remembering was those high points as well as obviously where the show goes um, in terms of the low points. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Thanks to you so much for coming on to Loud and Queer. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Where can people kind of find you online and where can they go to, to get tickets? Uh, so you can find me on Instagram, Patrick Livesey, um, or you can find me on Facebook, Patrick Livesey Actor, or my website, patrickhlivesey.com. Uh, and then tickets can be found through the Melbourne Fringe website. If you just search Melbourne Fringe Naomi, they should come up. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, discussions around quite a heavy show. Uh, so if you're affected by any of that, please get support. You can contact Lifeline at 13 11 14. Or uh, for some queer specialist support lines, you can contact Q Life at 1-800-184-527. They're also online. Uh, you can contact Rainbow Door at 1-800-729-367. And also uh, Switchboard at 1-800-184-527 or online. And uh, yeah, Switchboard is great for uh, getting you in contact with some of those other uh, support services. So yeah, Switchboard 1-800-184-527 or online. Now we have a chat with Amy, lead vocalist of Vilify, who are a Newcastle-based alternative metal group. We played the track Odyssey on the show before, so it was really great to have Amy join us here and tell us a bit more about it, also what the band have been up to and kind of what they're working on in the future. You're listening to Loud and Queer on Sin. I'm here with Amy from Vilify. Amy, how are you going? I'm good. It's been a long day. I'm glad to be at home. And I actually love having a chat, so this is probably one of the better ways to spend my afternoon. So thank you for having me. No worries. Fantastic. Thanks for coming on to the show. Odyssey has been out for a few weeks now. How have you felt the reception has been? Um, I feel like we say it on everyone, so it feels like really like almost not genuine, but um, the really lame overused term, blown away, I guess. Like So many people seem to have responded really well to this in a different way. It touches on a different topic than I think we normally do so we're normally all about like mental health and all that sort of stuff but this one's a, a bit more a bit less general a bit more specific and um yeah I didn't expect so many people to sort of take something from it and I've had a lot of nice messages and comments and stuff that I sort of wasn't expecting so it's very 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 cool yeah awesome yeah. can you tell us about the track so yeah when I was a um, wee little pup about eight years old my father passed away I've sort of come to terms with that like over the years as being not so young anymore, but um, I felt like I never really got a chance to sort of express how I felt about that. And I always told myself I would and time kept ticking on and I was like, I've just got to, just got to do it. I just got to write something about it to make it feel really good. And it was very cathartic and it was very, very nice. But I think the most cathartic part about it, like I said, was having other people talk to me about it after the fact. It just felt really, really nice. So the song is about sort of that story or like we were kind of going with the, like the odyssey like the, the the legacy of how that happened and sort of how it made me feel and how I sort of like progressed in my life after that a little bit yeah mentioning like it being a kind of a song that you wrote 
that kind of provided some catharsis. Did you feel like heavy metal kind of as a general, heavy in general is like a good space for writing? I 100% do. I think there's this expectation. It, I know that a million people will give me a million examples that are not of this, but I feel like there's this idea that like poppy good time music is poppy good time music about poppy good time stuff where the heavy stuff, it talks on that heavy stuff. So it talks about the stuff you're angry about and that's why it sounds angry and the stuff you're sad about, so it sounds sad. And I just think it, yeah, it's, it's that expression and getting it out and that's why I've loved heavy music not so much because I listen to a song and I feel a certain way. It's knowing that there's a whole community of people that feel the exact same way or or at least want to know how you feel. Like, as opposed, yeah, they might not necessarily get it, but they, they're up to listening to it as opposed to, like, don't get me wrong, I love pop songs and I love a good time, but I feel like that sort of doesn't quite hit the same as songs about real feelings and about real things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The music video for the track great and you were like director of photography director editor for it can you tell us about kind of planning that and bringing that all together it wasn't we've actually done all of our videos together like on our own and the joke keeps going that every time we do one we're like this is the last one we're doing on our own like it's the last one we can't keep doing it the first ones because of covid the first ones were just we did it like individually in lockdown um then the 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 third one was the only one we weren't in because we want to do a full narrative piece, which was very, very cool. But this one, we were spitballing all these ideas on how to do it. And um, in the worst, not worst, in the kind of cool twist of fate, I I actually at the moment live in my childhood home. So my mum lives in Sydney. So I moved back into her property to rent it off her, which is really, really beautiful. But it's like the house that we I grew up with grew up in with my father. So we're like, we've got to do something here. This is such a wasted opportunity. Like we're in the house that I shared those experiences with with my family so we're like we've got to do it and then we're trying to figure out a way to make it work and we're trying to figure out something that felt intimate and felt close enough to instead of just headbanging and hair going everywhere we wanted to sort of like stop and zero in on what was going on so I don't even remember whose idea it was I don't think it was mine I genuinely don't remember but we're just going back and forth with ideas of how to keep it the most personal. And we pretty much all agreed the most personal would be to just me singing to the camera about the situation that happened in the place that happened. So whilst it felt very DIY, which it was, um, it was sort of the only way we could logistically make it as authentic as we could, I think, as well. So we preferred to go with (laughs) eating our own words and doing one last one on our own to create that authentic feeling, which... um, I think we got across. Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's like a very real song, obviously, but the music video definitely, like you said, it's it's you know using kind of real stuff. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So Odyssey and your previous single Futility kind of linked it a few ways. Obviously, the artworks are kind of like inverse of each other. Yeah. And then like physically, there's the the vinyl as well. Um, do you kind of see these tracks tied together in any other way? It was more. Uh, I know all music is sort of released timeline wise. But it was, we were trying a bunch of different stuff in terms of musicality. So we tried a different producer. We tried sort of the way in which we, we were writing them together was a little bit different. Uh, the world was sort of opening up. So it wasn't that it was rushed, but we felt more of a, um, an urgency on things. So they sort of felt like two songs that came together at the same time, just relatively seamlessly. So whilst the concepts in the two songs, I wouldn't say are incredibly linked 
Um, it's more so how they came to being, if that sort of makes sense. So it was, I think we also liked the concept of one was about the past, one was when we wrote it about the present, but it wasn't too much thought into it except for this is a new feeling, a new direction, and we've never sort of limited ourselves on what they're going to be about or even really how they sound. It's always just what sort of goes together. And while these two are really, really different, they definitely had a similar tonality, I guess, going with that new producer that we absolutely love. So we, we wanted to put them out together because we recorded them together. It felt together because they just sort of like little bits from each song ended up sort of crossing over into bit songs. The different effects came into different songs. So whilst on 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 the the broader level, they're not necessarily two songs that relate, but they feel, I think, so close to us. For ages, we couldn't even remember which song was which. Like in our heads, we were like, oh yeah, those two songs are the same song to us. But in the way that we love them both, and they're, they're I think they're, I think we both agree they're probably are both our favourite songs that we've released. I reckon depending on the week, depending on who you asked in Vilify, you get a different answer for which one's our favourite. Yeah. And I realised that I, I didn't, other people have brought this up to me that I didn't realise there was ongoing themes of um, religion in them, but that wasn't an intention. So I, I know a lot of people ask me about this and I, I always feel a bit sticky talking about that, not because it, it's, not because it makes me feel any sort of way. It definitely wasn't the intention, but I think those that imagery um, has like a fierceness to it that I think pops out to a lot of people. Because I, I talk about God and I talk about um, aspects of that higher being a couple of times in the song, but they're never really like directly related to that. They're sort of just a byproduct of those tough times in which I think people look to those things. So, yeah, they, they both mention like not the god abandoning us sort of mentality but they both mentioned that but it's more about despair than it is about anti-religion and i always yeah. like to remind people that it's definitely not an anti-religious thing i come from a religious family and I, I in no way um have any disrespect to that so yeah i always just like to clarify that as well because i know that is one linking topic that a lot of people seem to pull out but when i wrote them i didn't mean it i didn't mean it like that yeah <laughs> yeah I, I definitely read it as like god in a general sense yeah um, yeah yeah, not a specific God, but some people go, oh, you're pissed off at God. And I'm like, I'm, I was mad then. Like, but no, yeah, it's definitely not anti-religious by any stretch. Layers of Grey probably was, but which was the, the one before this. But these two, nah, it's just, I think, phrasing that people use a lot as well. So, yeah. But yeah. Sure. So, yeah, you've got a new producer. You've got these new singles out this year. Is this kind of a part of a larger project you're working on that you can tell us about? Or good if you can't, but yeah. Oh no! I'll, I'll tell you about it. We're we're definitely not one of those kind of bands. Um, we we loved our first stuff with um that we did with the brain, and we in no way don't think we'll go back to the first producer that we went with because we absolutely love them and everything they produce is is ridiculously good. Um, yeah, we just tried something different. That was like the the main thing. We just wanted to try something different to shake it up for us because not that we felt that we got in a rut um personally, but it was we we're like oh we felt with from where we were sitting that it was all beginning to sound really similar from our side. So we just sort of wanted some fresh ears on it. And Chris Blancardo is the the producer on the most recent two. Um, and we're most definitely doing our next thing with him as well. Um, we think the next thing is going to be a larger body. This was sort of a, a two track to, for us to experiment with some different, um, more, in, more inorganic sounds. So some more sampling, some more sort of um, like, less musicality stuff, more electronic stuff, just a little bit. We don't want to get too hard into that. We just wanted something to make it 
feel a bit more jazzy and a bit more modern than we'd done in the past. So um, it was sort of us to see if we liked it or hated it. Because I know us and we're, we all listen to your really old like Norma Jeans and Every Time I Dies and we were like, what happens if we put this in and hate it? Then we're stuck with it for a larger body of work. So we did the two tracks. I absolutely loved it. So it, it was a really fun experience. He's such a beautiful guy. We're doing a larger body of work that is so weird, so nowhere near finished yet. But that, I'm so comfortable to tell you that, yeah, nowhere near finished. But, um, yeah, that's all going to be with him again, which I'm very excited yeah. for. It's going to be really good. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, it's in the works. That's great to hear. In general, how's it been kind of getting back into gigs this year? That one, that one's sticky because we seem to still not be having a really good rough. Like we still seem to still be having a bit of a rough run with it. So, um, we one of those bands that awkwardly sort of started at the beginning of COVID, beginning of COVID. But we'd had the music before of that. Like we were ready to go. COVID hit, so got us real hard. We couldn't play shows, and that's all we want to do. We just want to play shows, and even even into this year, um, we've been struggling to make them work. So even internally. COVID cases have stopped us from getting to places like Adelaide and Melbourne. So, and we don't want to play just in Newcastle all the time because I'd get sick of me if I was if if I was people too. So, so we've had a bit of a rough trot. It seems to just keep getting sickness, keep getting cancelled, keep getting stuff. But we just keep slogging away at it. And the era show was something to us that felt like such a. It, we're hoping it, it feels like a turning point for like something cool and something big that we're we see. So, fingers crossed for the rest of it. But. So far, everything we've played has been absolutely amazing. So it hasn't been much. I think someone we were making trying to count if it was over ten shows yet, and it's not even that. We just, yeah, we, we we've all been in other bands, so it feels like we've been playing shows forever. But as this unit, nah, it's only been like ten shows. But all of them, I don't think we've played a show where we've walked away and gone, oh, that was bad. Like we, we've loved every one so far. So we must be doing something right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Hopefully, like, it's a bit of a recovery year in general. Yeah. You know, everyone's kind of adjusting back to it. But it's sounding like if you're loving every gig you play, then hopefully they just keep increasing. And yeah. Keep it. Not loving the driving. I forgot how much I hate driving. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's the way. I used to love that bit. I used to love the getting in the van and, like, road tripping with your friends. But, oh, gosh, it's the worst. Like, it's just, it is just sitting in a car for eight hours. It's not my favorite. And petrol, it's so expensive now. What the hell? Yeah. For sure. Um, well, I guess, is there any upcoming gigs you'd want to talk about on the show? Or... Uh, nothing announced. That There's nothing announced that we've booked for yet. So not nothing I can say yet, but we do have a couple coming up before the end of the year, but that'll be that'll see Vilify out for the year. Um, we've got uh, me and the bass player Lizzie are in another band, so we head off on a tour that's kind of limited our end of year stuff for vilify so we feel very apologetic to the other two but we um yeah we i think we have it's it's one or two more for the year that aren't fully announced yet and um and just recording that's our end of the year yeah well yeah well i guess where can people kind of find you online and keep up with the vilify to uh make sure they're there for when the projects drop and the, the shows are announced yeah pretty much everywhere um because we feel like old people we traditionally just stick to your uh, normal formats of uh, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Music, all the music stuff. But um, but yeah, Spotify, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, even we've got a Twitter, we've even got a TikTok that we're we try to put as much stuff on as we can. Uh, if you pretty much all of them, we we it's it's the hustle that every band has to do these days. Yeah. But but yeah, music wise, which to us is the most important thing, 
um, just stream the hell out of it. It really helps us. It really helps everyone. So come find us on, I, I feel like Instagram still like the middleman of like people that refuse to use Facebook anymore. They're like, oh, but Instagram's okay. So go on there. Um, everything in our bio will link you to everything we've possibly got. So, but yeah, um, yeah, nothing planned yet. So it will look a bit dull and it's just us bragging about the era show a whole bunch. So, sorry, the content's not red hot at the moment, but it'll pick up when it picks up. Yeah. Just make everyone listening, just make sure they're when it picks up. Yeah. But yeah. Th- thanks so much for coming on. Uh, is there anything else you want to add? No, no, not really. Just, yeah, do us a favor, go check out the the new song on Spotify, the video if you want to as well. Um, every, I don't think people understand how much every listen and every stream actually means something. I know us in the band, we like check it really regularly. We're like, oh my God, that many people listened to it yesterday. And I think people don't think that's super important, but it feels important to me just seeing those numbers and knowing that many people care about what we're doing, what we're saying. Uh, it is totally not unnoticed. Every time someone tags us in something, I like get butterflies and I get so excited. So come talk to us at a show. We're all some of the most chatty people you ever meet. So if you're at ERA, come say hi. Uh, yeah, so there's there's me, Denny, Kieran, and Lizzie. Lizzie's not so not so chatty, but the other three, the other two, we, we just love a chat. Come talk to us about your favorite band, your favorite music that you're listening to. It, it, I know the bit that we've struggled with after COVID is definitely not the getting to talk to people. It's all I want to do. I feel like I've, I've starved for that for so long. So come chat. I, I would love to. Um, check out the music, come chat. That's all I've really got. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. No, not a problem. Thank you so much for having me. If what you just heard has raised any issues for you, or you just want someone to talk to, call Lifeline on 13 11 14, the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800, or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36. This podcast is brought to you by Sin Media.